But I want to circle now around to the topic at hand for today. And you can already see on the slide we have this, this like Venn diagram happening here with the word Trinity slapped across it. And I want to piggyback off of what happened here last Sunday. Can I do this by a show of hands? Can you just, would you just like admit to it maybe? If you were here last Sunday, can you put a hand up just for a moment? Who's, who got a chance to be a part of this? I'm guessing maybe half of us that I'm judging in the room and then of course realizing 25% of you will never raise your hand um, if Jesus himself were to come down from heaven and, and, and ask you to. Oh my gosh, on last Sunday, right? I, I mean, just to be a part of that experience together as we just simply told the Acts 2 story, which is of course when Christ poured out his Holy Spirit on the believers. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 2. I highly encourage it if you're unfamiliar with it. And then just sharing that last week and, and making the same call to action that Peter did. And, and I maybe shared this with you briefly, but when the staff and I were in planning for the service, feeling convicted that we needed to give you an opportunity to be able to come forward if there were sins that were burdening you, if there were things that you needed to confess, if there were ways that you needed to recommit or renew, or an opportunity to come and be baptized if you hadn't been and give your life to Christ as a faint shadow of the way that he's given his life for us. We, we, we believe here at FOF it's important at times to give calls to action. And we believe here at FOF that, that God is constantly calling us to become a part of what he's doing and to take a step. But I've learned that it's important that sometimes we have to set this up in ways to make it deliberate and intentional and give a, a venue, if you will. And, and, and quite honestly, we were, we were planning maybe Maybe 10 people are going to be here or 20 people are going to be here in the congregation. What happens if we're like up here and no one comes up and we just kind of said, well, that's what it is. We don't have to manufacture something. We're just going to continue to give the call and let God do what he wants to do. And oh my gosh, did God do something last week? I mean, witnessing over a hundred people lining up to come up to that water. And I'll tell you, in the planning, I was also afraid of something else. And it's something called the lemming effect. You could probably kind of unpack where I'm going with this, you know? But, but, but a lot of us coming out of what I would call denominational backgrounds or liturgical backgrounds, be that Lutheran or Catholic or maybe some other flavor of denominational Christianity where they often on Sunday morning have a, a highly structured kind of order of service or liturgy. And we know how this goes. Well, everyone else is saying something around me, so I'm going to say it. Everyone else stands up, so I stand up. Everyone else sits down, so I sit down. It's the lemming effect. We just kind of do what people do around us. And my fear for last week was that that might happen too. That maybe five or ten people would get inspired to come forward and, and, and feel the conviction of God in their life and go, I got to give something, I got to give this to God today, which might help five to ten more find their courage to do the same. But then everyone else sitting around going, Well, I'm not going to be the only one sitting out on this and kind of come forward too. 
And I'll tell you, as I stood up here at that baptismal fount last Sunday and had the chance to just talk with so many of you personally, each and every person who came up here, virtually each and every person, I kid you not, came up here with some burden they'd been carrying, some sin they had to unload, some conviction of recommitment. I saw couples come up together going, we've never done this together. And it's about time we do. We need to do this together. I saw people come up and just lose it, just, just like the floodgates opened and the tears came out. I, I had people coming up going, I don't know if I've ever been baptized, and I know that this is what I need to do. I saw one mom come up and ask me if she can get her son and go back and then bring her son up a second time to see him baptized. There was a few people, several who came up, and they're like, I don't even know why I'm up here right now, but I know that I need to be up here right now, and I don't even know why, and to be able to talk through it. God did something incredible here in this church, in this place that many of us got to witness last week, and, and God did something incredible in you who stood in line to come up and be a part of this last week. Don't, don't doubt that for a moment. God did something incredible in you, and there's this promise that I love in the New Testament, in Philippians, where Paul writes to this church. He writes, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Maybe you heard me mention that to those interns a moment ago, but it's true. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that's a promise of God? God's made you a promise. Last week is not a one and done. Not just an emotional moment. Not just the time to go, oh my gosh, and then that's it. No, that God, that God did something in you there. Whether it was something new or something more. But it's part of a process that God is in with you. And I don't know if you know this, but God is in process with you. Do you know that you're a work in process? I guarantee you that those who live with you and who are around you know we're all a work in progress, aren't we? All a work in process. You're a work in process with God, that God does not just come down, change everything, get everything, if I can use the metaphor, from zero to 100 or from black to white. No, God comes down and he begins things. It's like, almost like planting a seed. And the seed is not yet the totality of what it is to become and what God has begun in you. It is not the totality of what God is looking to do in your life. No, you are a work in process. And he said, oh, I'm not going to bring it to completion. And he invites those of you who have stepped forward in that process with him to continue to walk with him in that process, to continue to allow yourself to be 
open, open to his sculptor hands. I want to read a passage to you today. It comes from two, uh, well, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 10. Many of you might know it well, at least the first couple of verses, but many don't know verse 10. Here's what it says. You have been saved by grace through faith. You're not saved because you're a good person. God does not begin a good work in you because you've somehow justified yourself before him, impressed him, have earned something. It's not because you got your moral life into. It's not because you've cleaned up your act. No, you are saved, rescued by God, by his grace, by his overwhelming sense of love and mercy that is a free gift. You are saved by grace and it comes through faith. The channel or the conduit is when we simply open our hands to God and go, Lord, I throw myself on your mercy. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I just receive what you're doing. Lord, Lord, I I, I cannot find help or hope anywhere else. Lord, I'm just seeking you. These are all expressions of what we call faith, of what the Bible calls faith. It says you are saved by grace through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, so that no one can boast. That no one can boast, well, I came up to the water. Well, I came and let it all. No, 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 so that no one can boast all just a gift of God that he so freely wants to give to every single one of you that so many of you responded to last week. But here's the next line, and I love it. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do, that God has had a plan for you. Since before you knew he had a plan for you, you are God's workmanship. Isn't that an incredible thought? That you are God's workmanship. You are his, his project, and I don't mean that in a creepy kind of way, But the master craftsman looking to sculpt or mold or build or create something wonderful or beautiful, that carpenter crafting a beautiful piece, that artist painting that beautiful piece. I love the Greek word behind workmanship, and I think you'll see where I'm going. You are God's, here's the Greek, poema. You are God's poem. It's where we get the word. You are God's poema, something that he is writing line after line, verse after verse, sculpting, creating, crafting, imagining, unfolding, that the imagination of God is at work in you. There are moments where God comes and we respond and we can say clearly, I am saved. God rescued me. I was baptized. I repented. I gave my life to Christ. I recognized and acknowledged his sacrifice for me. There are moments in times that we can identify in life like this, aren't we? Some of us can even do it to a day. For some of you, it would have been last Sunday. But it's just a beginning. It's just a beginning of what God is looking to do in your life. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about 
this poema of your life with God and the process of life with God, where it goes from here. Because maybe you had this kind of last Sunday. You came up, right? We had this incredible emotional moment together. You go home driving, almost like with a silly grin on your face, in a fog, or in a daze, just, I don't know about you, did you have this? I walked around for like a day just going, what happened? Have you ever had these moments with God? Oh my God, what happened? Walk with him long enough, you'll have more and more. But then, you know, 48 hours goes by and you start coming out of the fog. And you ever have that kind of question? Now what? Let me talk to you today about now what? And strangely, it might seem to you, it relates to this thing or this concept, I guess I should say, called the Trinity. Now, for those of you who are uninitiated, the word Trinity, it's not a word that you'll find in the Bible, but it's a word that Christians have been using for millennia to try to apprehend the nature of God. Who is God? Because at some level, we can discern or pick up on the nature of who God is from this world around us and, and, and from life and what we observe and experience in our own lives and others. I, I think some of the ways that the Bible just simply describes is that we can look at the wonder of this universe that we live in, its complexity and its array, its beauty and its orchestration, and see the finger of print of God upon it, that we can discern something from this world around us of God. We can sense this struggle within our soul, this yearning for something higher and transcendent, and through it sense a, a bit in a, in a confused and maybe muddled way that there's something behind it. We have this innate sense of right and wrong, maybe even more an innate sense of calling or direction. In our life, we could describe this a hundred ways. We can pick up on hints of God, especially if we're looking. But you know, they'll only take you so far. They'll only take you so Far, because at some level, God is so much bigger, so much more transcendent, that, that, that to even begin to understand him is beyond the realm of what a human being could ever even strive to experience. God, at some level, is mysterious. And at some level, we're dependent upon God revealing himself to us for us to know who he is and what he's about and where he's going and what we can count on with him and what to expect in the process of life with him. We're dependent on God's 
revelation. You know, God just showing up and going, hey, this is who I am. You want to know who I am? Let me show myself to you. Let me kind of explain myself to you. Let let, let me give you insights in the Bible, of course, is filled with the stories of God revealing himself to people, to give them hope, to give them promise, to give them direction, to give them insight into the, the essence of who he is. Whether it was God coming to Jacob in dreams or showing himself on a mountain to Moses or to the people of Israel through the cloud and the fire and his spirit and his miracles. Whether it was through that ancient priesthood and the prayers and the sacrifices and the imagery of what they created and built, whether it was through the prophets and the voice of God continuing to speak to them again and again. Through all of it, God has shown glimpses, but we who call on the name of Christ, we see it most clearly in Jesus, that that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. He is the image of the invisible God, as the book of Colossians will put it in the New Testament. That fundamentally, when we see Jesus, we see the clearest image of who God is, the clearest picture, the clearest depiction, the clearest nature of what there is to know and understand about God. And yet, even with those glimpses, the mystery that's beyond our ability to imagine of who God is, this is the Trinity, and what early Christians often sought to capture in the Trinity— This idea that God is one, but God is three. That God is in some way three separate persons who in the New Testament go by like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, individual and separate from each other and yet one. Not three gods, but one. And of course, the math doesn't add up, and my goal here today is not to explain the Trinity. My goal here today is this, to get you on a different path. Because whenever people seem to talk about the Trinity, one of two things happens. Boom, tune out. Because you've learned just enough to know that this is confusing and I don't understand the relevance and I don't know where it needs to go. So it's just, okay, let them keep talking and we'll get back on with it, right? Or two, to get so mired down in the questions of it that it turns into this rabbit hole that you have no idea where to go. No, no, if this is where you're going, you're missing the point. The point of the Trinity is this, that God is bigger than you could ever imagine. That God is mysterious beyond anything you can ever fully figure out. That when you stand and begin to comprehend even the nature of God, it should lead you to a place of wonder and awe at looking at something that you can't even understand even if you can see it. 
because that's how big God is. And when God invites us into relationship with him, he's inviting us into something that is bigger and greater and more wonderful than you could ever, ever imagine. That is the Trinity. And that is the invitation of the Trinity that at this nature of the God who loves us is something that calls us into a process of more and more discovery, more and more enlightenment, more and more, as Paul will put it, spiritual wisdom and understanding. And with it, more and more worship and love and fealty as we see more and more of the never-ending depth of the mystery of God. That's what the Christian life is about. It's an invitation into something big for so many of us. For so many of us, I see it. We just want to figure God out. We want to get God nailed down. We want to make sure that we got it right so that we can get about our lives and know the predictability and the reliability and get on our way. To be sure God is, is faithful. To be sure God is reliable and to be sure God is true. And to be sure when God gives his word, he will keep it. And to be sure that when God shows himself or says something, you can count on it. But it's the tip of the iceberg. It's a beginning. It's a beginning of a process of God inviting you in more and more to walk with him to learn about him and to fall down on your knees before him. And that's what we want for you here at Fellowship of Faith. We have a statement here. Make disciples who make disciples. You know what a disciple is? You know what that means? Jesus had disciples but he had a lot more than 12. And many followers of Jesus today call themselves disciples too. No, it's bigger than just 12 men that followed him in Galilee 2,000 years ago. A disciple is simply this. It's someone who wants to be like Jesus. Someone who wants to be baptized or immersed into him more and more and more. It's not someone who's content to just know some things about God or to get some things about God or to secure their future with God. No, it's someone who goes, God, I want you. And I want to be a part of you and what you're doing and where you're going and I want that to transform me. It's what Jesus calls new birth. Such an overwhelming shift or turn of repentance. Lord, my life for you. Yesterday I was at the Grand Geneva doing a wedding. I'm so glad it wasn't Friday. 
talk about going from the worst of days to the best of days. And the couple was happier than I. <laughs> you know, they were standing there. And I saw this, this young man and I saw this young woman and they were looking at each other, ready to swear their lives to each other. That's what a wedding is, isn't it? Making a vow, making a promise, swearing our lives to each other. That was last Sunday. Standing here before God. Acknowledging the promises that you've made to me. And now giving my life to you. Wouldn't it be odd, though, if for that couple that got married yesterday, if it just ended on that day? Well, we got married. I mean, we said the words. So let's get about our lives and just do our own thing. Wouldn't that be odd? Wouldn't that utterly miss the point? Because it's a beginning. It's a beginning of something that is meant to grow and develop and lead you to more wonder and awe as you go. And according to the Bible, and I don't make this metaphor up, this is biblical, Old Testament, and new. Do you know what God says to you? Will you marry me? Jesus will talk about the bride of Christ. You know who that is? It's you. Every person who calls on him as Savior and Lord, every person who walked up here last Sunday. Yeah, you. You're his bride. That even includes the dudes. It's the metaphor he sets up that let's begin something together and grow together for better or worse, for richer and poorer, in sickness and in health. But this time, not even death will part us. And God pledges you his faithfulness. I want to invite each and every one of you here today to intentionally take that journey. To intentionally take that journey of growing, learning, immersing, following, worshiping, transforming, giving, serving, submitting, and every, el every other piece of what an amazing marriage can be. We go there this summer and we want to walk alongside of you to help you. Because marriage ain't easy. And a relationship with God isn't always easy either. It comes with a lot of questions. It can really help to have mentors and guides to help figure it out. That's church. Welcome to Fellowship of Faith. Okay, there's something I want to do. Van, you can come on up.
Um, let's stand up for this. I want you to hear echoes and illusions that you'll find in the Bible to this wonderful, mysterious, incredible God that we describe with the word Trinity. I'm going to share a passage with you. These aren't exhaustive, it's just selections, if you will. And after I say a passage, I'm going to say, this is the Trinity. And here's how I want you to respond. This I believe. I don't lie if you don't believe it. But if you do, or you're yearning to, this is the Trinity. See how this flows? And you know what I encourage you on this as well? Make it a prayer today. It's not just information. It's not just recitation. It's another way to express faith. This is the Trinity. After I share these passages with you today, we're going to go into something an ancient creed, selections and excerpts from one that you might not know too well, but one that believers have been professing for 1,600 years, a way to try to navigate the mysterious God, to hold the paradoxes of who he is in tension to not diminish any point of his revelation even if we don't know how it flows together. Use it as a way to meet God today, to talk to him, to go, Lord, I'm trying to figure you out, to learn but to express. And we'll confess our sins after that together. Because any relationship is about daily coming to those that we love, going, we need to make this right, especially when I'm hurting you so bad. That's what sin does. It hurts God. Bad, and we carry it, don't we? You may have come up here last Sunday, and in that time, from last Sunday to this, you've fallen short of his call on your life, of his glory. You have defied his will and his way. You've broken faith. You've held him lightly. God opens his arms wide. And he says, you know what? I don't hold grudges. And I don't let that stuff get between us. Not if you don't. Just come here. Let's talk about it. Let's start anew. It's part of the process of the Christian faith for relationship with him. And we'll hear the words of forgiveness that are God's promise to you. We'll go with his blessing. We'll 
praise him with whatever's left in our gut. And we'll leave this place together in relationship with him marked by a new name. Listen to this. From Matthew chapter 3. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. At once the heavens opened and he saw the Spirit of God descend in the form of a dove and a light on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is the Trinity. Jesus met his disciples on a mountain 40 days after he died and rose again from the dead. And when they saw him, it says they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. This, this is the Trinity. Paul writes, there is no God but one. And even if there are many so-called gods, whether in heaven above or on the earth below, as there are many gods and lords, for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. This is the Trinity. And there is one body and one spirit. Just as there is one hope to which you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all and over all and through all and in all. This is the Trinity. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. Or as the Hebrews would say, Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. This is the Trinity. Listen, listen to what Jesus has to say. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he... Jesus says will testify about me. This is the Trinity. 
And Jesus says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. John, his disciple, actually writes this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Yeah. And everyone who loves the Father loves the child as well. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus, the Christ. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. This is the Trinity. Now look at this prayer. Look at this confession, this, this, this creed. It begins by saying, now this is the Catholic faith. It's a word you need to know, Christians. Catholic with a lower C. Christians have been using this word since 100 A.D. In Greek, it means universal. All of us, whatever your color, whatever your age, whatever your nationality, whatever your denominational persuasion, we all, Roman Catholic, Orthodox, and Protestant alike, are part of a lower C Catholic faith. A universal faith because from the beginning, Christians said this God, this Trinity, this is what defines us. This is the truth of the God we worship. And they composed this, this poem, this prayer, this statement of faith. Learn from it. But worship with it. Claim it with me. Now this is the Catholic faith, that we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing their essence. For the Father is one person, the Son is another, and the Holy Spirit is another. But the Godhead of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. In the same way, the Father is almighty. The Son is almighty. The Holy Spirit is almighty. And yet there are not three almighties, but one almighty. And in this Trinity, none is before or after another. None is greater or less than another. In their eternity, in their entirety, the whole three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with each other. So that in all things, the Trinity in unity, and unity in Trinity is to be worshipped. Therefore, we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is at the same time both God and man. He is God, begotten from the substance of the Father before all ages. And he is man, born from the substance of his mother in this age. Perfect God and perfect man who suffered for our salvation, descended into hell, rose again the third day from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, God Almighty, from whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And at his coming, all people will rise again with their bodies and give an account concerning their own deeds. This is the Trinity. We will give account, it said, 
that this man Jesus is God and Lord, Savior and Judge, before whose throne we stand one day. To him we will give account all our sin, all our undoings, all our misdeed. But he opens his arms. What is a brother? As a father? As a comforter and advocate? As a spouse? He says, ah, oh, just confess to me. So I invite you to take a moment. And we're not going to come forward today, but in your seat. Confess what it is you need to confess to God today. Repent. Throw yourself on his mercy and ask him for his forgiveness. It's his promise he'll meet you there. So pray or talk to God as you need to know. God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. But for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. And do you remember the words from last week? The people convicted with their sins looked to Peter and the apostles and said, God to the heart, what do we do? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's God's promise to you that he who began a good work will bring it to completion, that the spirit that he has imparted upon you, oh, he is alive and at work, that his forgiveness is yours. You are forgiven. Not because I say so, because he does. God says you're forgiven. You're forgiven a child of God. You are 
my very spirit, my essence, my nature. I gift it to you today. So may you know that forgiveness. May you revel in it. And may the Lord bless you because of it. Keep you. His face shine upon you. He's a gracious God. And may you trust in that graciousness. And may that give you what the ancients called shalom. Wholeness. Peace. God bless, guys.